Awesome. Thank you so much to the worship team. I got to get set up. <clears throat> I have been uh, pretty sick for the last few days, so we will just be fist pumping after church. No hugging. <clears throat> I'm going to try not to cough into the mic. Roger was good enough to give me some lozenges, so that's, that's good. Um, let's just pray uh, before we get started. God, I thank you so much for this time uh, where we had just to focus on you and worship you for who you are, to sing a song that, that speaks to how worthy you are because of what you have done. And, and, and just in your nature, you are worthy of all of our honor and praise. God, then we look at the cross and we look at the empty tomb and we recognize that you've done more than we could ever hope or imagine. God, you've given us the greatest gift um, we could ever dream of, and that is just your love. And we, we can stand before you um, completely uh, covered by your love, by your grace, by the, the sacrifice you made. God, I just pray that we as a church would just um, exalt your name because you alone are worthy to be praised. We just thank you in everything, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So, Ah, the sickness moved through my family quick. This last week has been brutal. When the first kids went down, I thought that it was going to hit me early with them, and it would be fine, but of course, I was the last one to get sick, and uh, I tried to go to as much of the hymn conference as I could, got to about a half a day's worth of main sessions, and it, it was excellent. I highly recommend the hymn conference to anybody who's never been before. Um, it's fantastic. There were, like Kyla said, there was like 3,500 people in the room, and it's, it's, it's fun to have that many uh, people, the body of Christ, all worshiping together. It's just fantastic. Um, but as, as I was thinking about and working on this, <clears throat> on this um, sermon here in Unit 10 of Experiencing God, there was uh, one concept that kept jumping out at me, and it was early on in in our week's reading. So if you're still uh, tracking with us um, through experiencing God, this was was in, I think it was day one, and it just said this statement. It was the heading of a section. Being is more important than doing. Being is more important than doing. And that just stood out to me, and as I I was thinking about this— Really, everything we do as a church, this whole chapter was uh, life in the body. It, it talked about spiritual gifts, how we relate to each other, how does God reveal himself in the body. And um, as I was thinking about this, our life in the church flows from what God's mercy has done in our life. So on my own, my own relationship with Jesus Christ is completely sculpted and shaped by what God has done on the cross. It is, the, it is the effect of the gospel in my life that shapes who I am and how I think now as a believer. And so when we gather together, that same is true for all of us when we're in the same room. We're, we're all molded by the gospel. And so um, when I was thinking of what, what should I preach on, sorry, I'm going to drink a lot of water. I've got to drink a lot of water. My throat is killing me. Um, as I was thinking about, okay, so what, what can I preach on? If Romans 12 is what jumped out at me because I can't think of a, of a better passage we're only going to get the first few verses, and you'll know because it's already long. Um, but this chapter, Romans 12, is all about how the church relates to each other as the church. And the way that the, the chapter starts, it points to God's mercy as the foundation for all of that. I want you to see this <clears throat> in Romans 12.1. So if you have your Bible, by the way, it's very helpful if you have it in front of you. I've got some 
you know, I got the verses on the screen, but it helps a lot to have the whole chapter in context, or if you've got a real Bible, you might even see previous or future chapters around what we're talking about. Very helpful. So flip or swipe your way to Romans 12 as we, as we go through today. But here's Romans 12.1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So there's two things. I just want to, so first we have a therefore, right? Every time we come across a therefore or a for or a but or a so that in Scripture, we got to stop because it's referring to something else we should already know. So if we pick up this letter and just like thumb our way over to chapter 12 and start reading, we're going to miss what Paul is getting at. He just spent 11 chapters setting up this, this idea that we're about to study. So, um, we need to look at that, and, and, and it's very important, too, because Romans chapters 1 through 11 are all about the good news, the gospel, which is God's mercy on display, right, in our life. So 11 chapters of probably the most beautiful picture of the gospel in Scripture. <clears throat> so I just want to really briefly, we're going to rush through all 11 chapters. I'm not going to read them. We're just going to highlight and summarize them very briefly uh, so that when we get into Romans 12, we're, we have just heard what the Church of Romans would have heard. Uh, Church of Romans? Church of Rome would have heard as they got to this section in his letter. So really quickly, buckle up. Romans 1 through 3, so the first three chapters, is, is really laying out God's wrath on sinners, right? His, his just wrath against all sin and us as sinners. We all deserve the judgment of God. And if we look at this Romans 3, 21 through 26, probably the one of those beautiful paragraphs in the Bible because it sets up just how we can be saved from the wrath of God and, and the judgment of God. Here's Romans 3, 23. We've all heard this. This is a kind of a two-part sentence. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's the state that we're in right now. The next verse, 24, <clears throat> and we are all justified freely by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So there's the, the infinite good news. Notice the words here, we're justified. So just as if we never sinned, right? That's what justified means. Freely, so the cost is free by his grace. It's by the grace of God and it's a gift. You don't earn gifts, they're just given. So it's, it's through the redemption, the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's how we, we have the ability to stand justified in the presence of God. And then Romans 4 to 5 go on to talk about that, how it's not based on what we do. A couple years ago, I got to go to uh, South Sudan, newest country in the world, pretty much been war-torn for the last seven, eight years, its entire young little life. But while we were there, I got a chance to talk to some uh, Muslim guys, and one guy was telling me— um, his name was Eldoma, and, and he shared this sentence. He said, I know I'm going to heaven because of all these things I've done. And he, he told me what they were. I mean, he had done a good job trying to be, give back and love others and, you know, care for others. And we were able to tell him, like, no, it's better news than that. It's not about you working hard. God loves you so much, he hasn't given you a list of things to do. So that's what Romans 4 and 5 are, are saying. And this is, I just, <clears throat> to anyone who's not saved, this morning. I want to I just remind us, and for those of us who are saved, listen, we are not gathered together as a church trying to earn anything before God. We're not trying to worship God as a sense of obligation or, or this idea that we can earn merits before God. We are not, we're, in fact, that's how many re, re, um, religions work, but this is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. So we're gathered together for worship 
because we're overwhelmed by the mercy of God. That's what drives us here. It's what Christ has done. It's his love for us in spite of the things we've done. The things we've done separate us from God, so we come and gather together to worship because we're overwhelmed by the mercy of God. And we're going to see that more in, in a little bit. And so for anyone who, who maybe doesn't yet, hasn't yet turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, hear this. You can be free from striving. Like we were able to tell Odoma, you don't have to worry about that anymore. God has already made the way for you to come to him. There's nothing you have to do. He's made a way through his mercy. And that leads us into Romans 6, which is about how we are dead to sin now. All of that, we are dead to sin and we are alive in Christ, which goes straight to verse 7. And this is, or chapter 7. This is where Paul starts to get kind of schizophrenic because he, uh, he's talking about, well, I'll read it to you and you'll know what I mean. He's talking about his struggle with sin. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me and it does it. He's just like all our map. He, he wants to do good, but every time he tries, he ends up not and sinning. And he's just back and forth, back and forth. And so we, we can totally identify. We know that struggle with sin. And then we get to Romans 8, verses 1, the very beginning of Romans 8. Listen to this. <clears throat> Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. No condemnation. He does not look at us. Con- condemning us. Because, why? Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then you skim down to the, probably the most victorious, triumphant passage. I'm saying this, like apparently Romans has all the most in the whole Bible. This is the most triumphant. <laughs> At the very end of chapter 8, listen to this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So, so Paul is painting this picture of the good news of the gospel in these first chapters. And then he concludes in 9 through 11 to talk about God's free grace, right? So he concludes God's free grace, his mercy, right? We're not getting what we deserve and we're getting things God, we're getting God and we do not deserve. That's grace and mercy. So after 11 chapters, Paul says, in light of all that, in light of all that, that's the therefore. And then there's chapter 12, which gives us all these commands. In fact, chapter 12 uh, and the rest of Romans really hit this is like where the rubber meets the road. We hit very practical chapters in, okay, because of this, now how should we then live flows out of the rest of Romans. But we're going to look at this one. There are 25 direct commands in here. And, and this is what we need to see the picture. Why we just spent all that time looking at uh, Romans 1 through 11. We in the church are motivated and molded by the mercy of God. This is the shaping influence in our life because of what he has done fantastic songs we just sang. It drives everything we do. So now, jump with me to Romans 12.1. Therefore, here's the whole verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, with the gospel on full display in front of us, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So this is the very first thing I just want to point out here. Here's the first way that the good news of God's mercy affects us. It's this simple statement. We exalt God's mercy in worship. 
That's what drives everything we do. And it's not just singing, but I'm, I'm very thankful to a worship team who leads us in that. Songs full of the gospel message that, that allows us to stand together and sing and declare God is worthy. We're exalting him. And right now we're exalting him in front of each other, right? So it's in, in community we gather together and we worship him together. <clears throat> but here's the deal. You'll notice if you click back a slide, sorry, to Romans 12, you'll see um, it doesn't say anything about singing in here. So it's, it's very clear. It's, it's a lot more than just singing on a Sunday. Right? That, this is not what Paul is talking about. This is what he says. Here's verses 1 and 2. We're exalting the mercy of God in worship. There is so much here. We're going to go quick. These verses, though, are, are giving us a picture of Old Testament sacrifices, right? They used to go and in the Old Testament, God's people would bring sacrifices and lay them on the altar before God. And Paul is saying, that's done. We're done doing that. Animal sacrifices is done. We don't place an animal on the altar anymore. We bring our actual whole self to the altar. We're laying everything about who we are down. And we're saying, it's, it's myself, it's my life. And I'm saying, it's yours. It's yours to do whatever you want. This is what it means to be a Christian. So we, we, we see the gospel, the picture of the gospel, and then that flows directly into this life of total surrender. Your mind, your will. We talked about this um, when we talked about the lordship of Christ. We're, we're saying to God as Lord, you are now master controller, director of everything in my life. So my desires, my will, my, my, my likes, my dislikes, my family, my own life, like my physical life, my spirit, I mean, everything about me, my spiritual life, my emotional health, everything is all yours, God. That's foundational to what it means to be a Christian. And again, this isn't because you have to. See, if we got to this verse right now, it would sound like just a command. Get yourself on the altar. It's not that. In light of God's mercy and what he's done, Romans 1 through 11, now we come and out of unbelievable awe for who he is and what he has done in our life, I willingly lay myself down on the altar. So totally different. But so many of us struggle with this, with this idea of, of my own free will. And we, we, oh, I grudgingly have to go to the altar, you know, and, and give myself up. He's asking so much. He's asking my whole life. All of that pales once we see the glory of the gospel on display, right? That's, that's what, what motivates us. So now we lay down every single day, right, before him we say, use my life however you want, and that is worship. Do you see that? This is your true and proper worship. That is what he's getting at, is your surrender before him. So now let's look at Romans 12.2. Do not conform do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed <clears throat> by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So now Paul's describing this new life in Christ. He's, what, in view of God's mercy, what is life going to look like now? Now there's this, this picture of being conformed and, and this ongoing transformation of our heart and mind and soul because of our position on the altar. We're laying it down. Now the Holy Spirit does this work. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but one thing I think it's important for us to remember because some, some of us come to Jesus Christ, we surrender our life to him, and we say, you are Lord. And then we expect that our new life in Christ is just going to be this passive thing where we come, come to church, and he just does this work in us. And it's just like, wow, I'm more mature and more wise than I was last week just because I was here a lot or because I hung around with people who also know and love Jesus. But it's not. 
It's, it isn't passive. It's not something that just happens to us. It's that daily act of surrender to him. And God has ordained specific things that we can do that allow the Holy Spirit to have that work in us. Remember, we have free will. We need to align our free will with his will, and then the Holy Spirit can do that. And we're going to see in a minute the, the danger that pride has on our own spiritual growth. We'll see that in the next verse. But just keep in mind that God, this is, this is a result of our daily surrender to him. That's why we talk about so much the need to be in his word daily. This, that's one of the disciplines, one of the things God has ordained for us to grow. We read his Bible. We memorize scripture. We allow, we allow scripture to sink down from our, our head into our heart and affect the way we change. That's, that's the fertile ground the Holy Spirit needs to work in. So it's that place of being on our knees. And it's, it doesn't hurt to actually be on your knees before God because that position is the position we need to be in for him to do that work. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is the English Standard Version. He's describing this process we all, with unveiled face, this is kind of a reference to Moses who had to veil his face. So with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God. So just think, being in the presence of God. Not doing, being in the presence of God. That's what this is talking about. Beholding the glory of God. We are being transformed into the same image, into the image and glory of God in, from one degree of glory to another. So little by little, it's an incremental steps that the Holy Spirit is making. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So don't be confused here. This isn't anything you do. This is an act of being, and the Holy Spirit then steps in and does this on our behalf. This is huge. So now Paul, so set, setting up these two verse, first two verses on, on worship and, and surrender to God because of what he's done and who he is, now he's, he's going to relate this to the church. How will God's mercy inform the way we should live life together as a church? And there are a ton of things. We're only going to look at a, at a couple because for time's sake. But um, there's 25. I thought that was too many. So I condensed them into 10. <clears throat> and I thought that was too many. <laughs> and it would have been, believe me, you'll see. This is already too long and I only chose two. So um, we're only going to look at a couple this morning. So the word of God is so great through here. Uh, look at verse 3. And here's the next thing I just want to put up on the screen here. So we exalt God's mercy in worship. We saw that in the first two verses. And now look at how we, the next section. We express or we demonstrate, I wanted an E word, but we, we demonstrate God's mercy in community, right? This is where we express, what it, where, where we say and show to each other, this is what the gospel looks like on display, and this is, this is what God is doing in the church. He wants a place, a body of people where people who are not a part will come and go, what is up with you, right? So he's building this type of community. And listen, right off the bat, this is kind of Paul's little side note to me as I'm reading this. It kind of seems like, oh, I just got this thing I want to remind you about. Listen to verse three. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, <clears throat> do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other, in other words, he's just like, side note, warning against pride, right? Don't think of yourself too highly, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. The biggest barrier to spiritual growth in our, in our walk with God is something that is so deeply embedded in us, and that is pride. 
It, it's called the original sin for a reason. I mean, that's Adam and Eve, right? God creates them, has perfect fellowship with them, gives them an, a perfect world, gives them jobs to do in the world, and it's glorious and beautiful, and he puts fruit on a tree because he wants them to have free will, and he says, don't eat that. And Adam and Eve go, no, what you say is not as good as what I believe. I'm going to do what I want, right? That is, that is the sin of pride. But sometimes we, we know there aren't fruit trees, that we can't touch anymore. So it's not as, as like visible. So sometimes we need help even seeing it because pride that we're not aware of is probably the most deadly type of pride, right? Pride that is just cr- cruising under the surface is bad. In fact, this was, I mean, pride is at the heart of everyone, but um, it was massively convicting to me as I was preparing this. It, this is just things that popped out. They might be very personal things that, uh, for me, but uh, I, think, I think they apply to a lot of us. So Pride, it's at the heart of our need to defend ourselves, <clears throat> right? To constantly defend, especially when we've been wronged. I feel like that's the biggest time that I, am, I see pride, and usually not at the time I need someone to point out my pride, but it's when, I, and when I've been wronged or hurt by someone and I feel the need to defend myself in that moment. That is pride on display. Um, when we begin to wonder if people are thinking less about us than we deserve, right? That, that is totally pride. And, and when, when we see these, and I saw these in myself, we are overflowing with love for ourselves. And, and I think Paul is taking this time and just going, hey, that, that sin of pride is going to be a massive barrier to what I'm about to tell you that the Holy Spirit is doing. As he builds this community of believers, if you walk into that thing full of that pride, you're going to struggle with love being sincere, right? And caring for one another and belonging to one another because you're walking around with pride. It's about you and what's best for you, right? And God is like, nope, that's the old way. And Paul's just saying, warning, pride in here. So pride says it's all about us, but God is leading us into like into new territory. And this is just part of that old self that has to die so that we can experience life in the community that is, is what Jesus wants and not what we end up putting into it. So <clears throat> Let's look at this. Here's the, here's the, the first of the two um, commands or, or ideas in this scripture that we're going to look at today. The first one is we belong to one another. See how that automatically is counteracting that culture of pride, that, that spirit of pride. To say we belong is like, whoa, now all of a sudden I need you. I can't do it on my own. I'm not enough. It's not all about me. We belong to one another. This is huge. So here's the verse we've been working on, and we're not going to say it, but it was a good one. Um, it says, in Christ, in Romans 12, 5, in Christ, individually, we are members of one another, right? So we belong to one another. Just as the parts of a body uh, belong together and are connected, this is the picture that Christ is saying for us in the church. We are connected together. We can't do this alone. We gotta be, we gotta be together. This sounds simple, but we need to remember this. <clears throat> Christ is the one who connects us together. So Christ is the rallying point. It's not, sometimes we have all these different groups, like we all belong to this club and that's what draws us together, right? My community I live in, we all live there. That makes us neighbors. That's what draws us together. We have that in common. In the church, it's Christ. Christ and what he's done is what brings us together. And it is only because of Christ that all the random, what seemingly random diversity that we have in the body of Christ even works is because Christ, Christ is the glue that holds us together. I don't have this in here, but it just made me think, like, sometimes me and my wife, we are so separate. If it wasn't for Christ, like, I don't even know how we would keep it together. We, we celebrate 10 years this year, 
Yes? Ooh, I'm glad I got that right. Ten years <laughs> married. And man, we have totally said out loud to each other, we would not be married if it wasn't for Jesus. Like, there is no way. So much pride and sin comes into the relationship, but it is God that glues us together. So that's just a plug for you to make Jesus the center of your relationships for sure. In fact, I think of thinking of my family and just like, you know, a late night at work, I come home and I got four little ones. In fact, my two-year-old lost his voice this week and he doesn't know what's going on. It's so funny. He's squeaking all over the place. Mom, mom. And and then he says to stop and listen to himself. What what just happened? It's so funny. Then he cries and it's like, it's just, it's, it's a different kind of crying. I guess if you don't know how he cries, it just sounds like I'm being weird. But, but just thinking about how much I love my family, right? And how much love we have for each other. And, that, and that's pretty natural, but I think we forget that that's what God is doing in the church. That's what he put us all together right now for, is to love each other that way. I think, I think we forget. Uh, too often we, just, we miss this, and we don't, we don't recognize the family element about what it means to be in the body of Christ. And, and, you know, it's interesting thinking about um, El Doma, that guy in South Sudan. Like, God in Scripture even tells us that his family, Christ, it's deeper than our family here on earth. Our earthly family, it's deeper than that. In fact, I, I know El Doma, for example, if that guy turned from his sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he would, his family would reject him. He would lose all ties. They would kick him out of the family in a heartbeat. There are many places around the world. Some of us have been there to see that and witness that. And, and it, obviously, it does, you don't have to go around the world. There's, there's families here that would reject you if you chose Jesus Christ. So it's just hold it. And, and, and that's why God is putting together a new family. Together, that's what the church is. It's a place that has deeper connection, is bonded, not because I was, you know, I was born to you or, or I, whatever. It's weird. I'm your kid or you're my dad or whatever. God is what is binding us together. And it is so much deeper. And why people will make that choice. I will give up my family here on earth. Because I know as a consequence of following Jesus, that's going to happen. Right? It's huge. It's kind of funny. My, my younger brother got married last year. And uh, I remember the first time we went over to his fiance's parents' house. And they, like, grandparents were there and cousins. And so we don't know any of them. And they don't know any of us. And I got four kids. I troop in. My parents are there. And my sister. And I was just, their house was packed out. And I'm just like watching this kind of craziness, just like, ah, they had a pool. And so like half, we're trying to keep those kids alive and they're running through the house like it's theirs. And um, I just remember sitting down to dinner and looking at my <coughs> fiance and just going, hmm, I wonder if she knew that when she marries my brother Josiah, that she gets all of us. Like, and that's, that's, that's kind of what we see here in scripture. This is what God is doing. You know, when you come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get us. You get all of us. And with that family is all this dysfunction and drama, right? And it's still a part of God's plan. He's still putting us all together for a purpose. And I just think that's, I think that's funny. Um, funny, and it's, it's hard. Obviously, that's a part of the, the hardness of being and doing life with other people. But it is all part of his plan. Um, there's so much more in chapter 12 we're not going to get to. Um, but like, if, if you just skim down, in fact, in experiencing God, even mentioned some of them along the side. It said, we serve each other. We love sincerely. We hate what is evil. Ooh, in, in relationships, we love each other enough to call out sin in other people so that because we know that sin is a barrier in their relationship with Jesus Christ and we are unwilling for anyone in our body to be left out in the cold in their sin with a barrier between them and Christ. Right? So in love and in loving relationships, we're going we're gonna to do that for each other. That's huge. Ooh, that's a, that's a sermon later. 
Uh, we, we, we honor one another, we're devoted to one another, we care for one another, we mourn, we rejoice, we bless one another. All of that is in Romans 12. And this is just some of the things. And we, we're just going to go right into the next, the next section here. We're gifted for one another. <clears throat> and I realize it's already going long, so I will try to maybe try to speed this up by not just talking faster. You're welcome. <laughs> so <laughs> Romans 12, 6 through 8 uh, says this. So it, it starts out just by saying, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, right? And then it lists some gifts. I just wanted to really quickly clarify a couple things um, that we learned from this, this chapter and then in experiencing God made it very clear, which I, I appreciated. Number one is, who has the gift of the Holy Spirit? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. By the way, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 are excellent companions. So if you want to you dig in deeper about how God is, has is making the church and what he is doing in the church, uh, check out 1 Corinthians 12. But let's just look at verse 7 here to, to answer these questions. So who has the gift of the Spirit? May, many of us already know this, but everyone who has Jesus is automatically given the Holy Spirit, right? They are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and at that time they are given spiritual gifts. But the gift is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will make himself known at different times in different ways, and that's when we start talking about, I have the gift of leadership, or you have the gift of, you know, whatever it is, tongues, or you have the gift of healing, or whatever it is, right? Those are manifestations of the, of the Holy Spirit. The gift is the Holy Spirit, and every believer has that. And then the second one, so, so why do we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Why does the Holy Spirit man himself, manifest himself or make himself known to believers? And, and 1 Corinthians 12, 7 tells us it's for the common good. It's to build up the church, to build each other up in the church. And that's huge. Every part is, independ- is interdependent and necessary. They all have to work together well. And sometimes we fall into the trap of saying, of thinking, yeah, others are gifted, but I don't know if I have gifts. Or I don't know what my gifts are. And, and that's where we got to recognize that is not true. Sometimes the picture of the way we do church, because sometimes we'll even say things like, I'm going to church. Well, that's, that's not accurate. We call this building church, but church is the body of Christ, so you can't, you can't, you know, you go be where the body is. But this service isn't church. And when you start to look at these spiritual gifts, you'll realize this isn't the, this isn't the venue. We've created an eight and ten o'clock service where you can't use your spiritual gifts very much. It's a lot of people sitting, watching, typically one person use their spiritual gifts. Or, you know, maybe the worship team obviously is up here too also. But that, that's not this picture. We are all inter- interdependent. So if, if your experience of life in the church is just this, you're missing out on what God has, has given you. And then we as the church, not the church service, we as the church, the body of Christ, are now missing out on the use and, and the way that God wants to use you and your spiritual gifts in building up his body. That's why we stress over and over again, you got to be in a small group. And in growth track, I tell you, it's like we, we identify our spiritual gifts and then we go, okay, here's the deal. Only a small percentage of you will actually use your spiritual gifts at 8 and 10 on a Sunday, right? We, we need people to use their gifts as, as ushers and greeters and refreshments and children's ministry. Oh my goodness, needs, needs a lot of people out there, right, to teach the kids. But that, that's still going to be a small percentage, most of us whether you're helping on a Sunday or not, are going are gonna to exercise and develop your spiritual gifts in community with other believers throughout the week as you meet outside of this 8 and 10 o'clock service, right? It's huge. We got to remember that. I, uh, my wife and I just watched the movie First Man, which is about Neil Armstrong uh, going to the moon. It's a good movie. It's a pretty, pretty good movie. 
And then, I, and then after we finished that, I, reckon, I realized I had never watched Apollo 13, which is <laughs> it's a really old movie. It's also good <laughs> in case you missed the last couple decades. You can go watch that. Um, and, then I, and then I, like I usually do, I go and wiki- read the Wikipedia page on that. So I just went the whole Wikipedia page on Apollo 11. And in that Wikipedia page, it says there were over one, on the, on the Apollo 11 spacecraft, over one million parts. One million parts. And then I'm, I was thinking, man, if they had a, a staggeringly successful 99.99% like success rate on all those parts, that means 100 parts would have failed in between here and the moon. A hundred parts. But they took off and the whole thing was successful, unlike Apollo 13. Uh, it all worked. In fact, I, I watched a, a, a little video footage of the launch itself, and it ended with this quote, which I thought was very interesting. This is from Margaret Mead, who's a secular anthropologist. And she, look, look at what she says. Sorry, I'm on the next slide. There we go. Never doubt that a small group of committed people can change the world. I without, and obviously it was, she was, I, don't, I don't even know if she was saying that about the Apollo, but they were applying it to the uh, walking, sending a guy to the moon mission. But I was like, wow, that is so true. And it does not sound original to me. I mean, maybe she clumped those words together. But to, it made me think of the picture in Acts that we see of a small group of fledgling disciples who were meeting together at the risk of their lives, right? In Acts, we read that. They were, they were meeting together at the risk of their lives, spreading the gospel, and they recognized that every single person was important. And 2,000 years plus have passed, and, and we have the same thing it holds true today. Never doubt that a small group of committed people can change the world. Here at the Salvation Army Croc Church, like, would we be satisfied? Should we be satisfied or content if 50% of us were participating in the Great Commission? That's Jesus' command to us to go and make disciples of all nations. Should we be okay with 50%? I mean, it, from where we are now, it would seem like, woo, 50%. But 75%, how great would that be? Or 80 But we're, we're missing, we're gonna, for those of us not engaged, we're going to miss what God has created us to do. And we are on a mission that is far greater than the Apollo launch. Something that is going to require a lot more interdependent, interworking parts and the Holy Spirit making all that work together. Like, we want to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ who will daily die to themselves here in Ava Beach and all around the world. Right? That's the mission we're on. They were trying to put a man on the moon. They did a fabulous job. But we need to, we want to make and multiply disciples all over the world. That's, that is so much bigger than the Apollo 11. We cannot accomplish that goal if many of our parts are on the fringes. Just think about what happens when every part supernaturally gifted by God, every member of the Croc Church is meaningfully engaged in this mission. Imagine what that would be like. We have no idea what God would do in and through us. He says that over and over in experiencing God. No one can even fathom what God can do in and through a man or in and through a church that is fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. This is glorious thought that we don't want to miss out on, and this is what it means to be church. Um, I'm going to call Mickey up to remind me that I'm almost done uh, to play. But uh, if, if you want to meditate on God's picture of life in community, then I would highly recommend meditating this week on Romans 12, 9 through 21. Just that whole, that whole passage. Is, there's verses that talk about how we relate to each other 
as followers of Jesus Christ. And then there's verses about how we relate to the world. And both, I mean, they will challenge and convict you to your core because it is, it is intense. But if we keep in our, in our head Romans 1 through 2 and all of Romans, or sorry, Romans chapters 1 through 11, but Romans 12, 1 and 2 constantly in our brain, in view of God's mercy, then do these things. If we keep that in our head, it, it will make, well, it'll make a lot more sense for one. We'll have the right motivation. Um, but it's just good to meditate on that. So I, just as we close, I, you know, and it, yeah, I felt weird about this sermon because we're so scattered in just those two sections. But I just want to end just by reminding us we, we can't see church as an optional add-on to our life in Christ. That's not, I mean, I, I am preaching to the choir because here you are being in church. But, but more than just being here, we, we can't see life in community in the church as an optional add-on. This, isn't, this is not a social club or a weekend obligation or a family tradition right? This is, God is calling us into so much more when we talk about life in community. And that's Romans 12. It's just, it is, it is rough to, to read because there is, there is this daily surrender, and not just to a God who is perfect, but then the daily surrender to people who are imperfect, but that I need to grow and to live with, right? Oh, that is so much harder. So the church is the place where we express God's mercy in community, and then it's the place where we exalt God's mercy in worship. So we belong to each other and we have spiritual gifts designed to build up the church. If you just close your eyes, I'm going to end in prayer. Um, but I just, I just want to read some, some questions just to uh, get us just thinking before we, we, we pray before God right now. Will we lay our lives down each day and choose to live our lives in a way where a lost and dying world will take notice? Will we enter into covenant relationships with each other so that God's mercy will be on display in everything we do? Will we live together as though his love is the greatest thing we have ever experienced? Will we allow the Spirit to work through us as we serve the world for Christ? And will we be the church as God designed it, letting go of everything that is not of him and that threatens to distract us from our mission in the world? God, I just pray that we would, we would daily be overwhelmed by the truth of the gospel. That the good news that we lost in our sin, you have made a way for us to be right before you. Justified, declared righteous. We have done nothing to earn it. And he looks at us and he says, I call you righteous because of the work of my son. Ah, if we could be daily in that mindset, then we could walk out into the world and into the church and into our families, ready to live and love, full of the Holy Spirit's control over our life. Only then will we be transformed and we'll start to see these things happen in our life as we, as we uh, radically orient our life away from selfishness and pride and to you, God-centered in everything we do. God, I pray that would be the mark of this church deeply engaged, motivated followers of Jesus Christ who meet together to celebrate what you've done and then step out those doors fully prepared to be on mission for you in the world. God, you're doing so many things in and through this church, and I'm thankful for everyone who is here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.